Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Dive into Science with 15 by 4 Munich podcast. We are a science communication nonprofit organization and we'll bring you some fun, interesting interviews with scientists. My name is Enes and I'm here with my co-host Antonis and our special guest Melissa. Hello guys and welcome. Hello. Hey Melissa. Hi Enes. Melissa, welcome to our podcast episode. We're very happy Thank to you have so you here. Uh, thanks for uh, accepting our invitation. Thank and you. Uh, I think it's time that you tell us a bit about yourself. Why, why, did, you, why did we bring you here? Let's see. What's your <laughs> academic your background? Thank you very much. Thank you, Ines. Thank you, Antonius. And thanks to um, this great group of science. Uh, my name is Melissa Jimenez Gomez Tagle. I am from Mexico. Um, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> I'm a planetary health scientist uh, currently studying sustainable resource management at TUM in Munich. And I am also an environmental activist. I'm a local leader in Mexico of the social movement of Extinction Rebellion and Extinction Rebellion scientists. Um, I'm a climate, re climate reality leader, uh, the group of Alcor, and former Fridays for Future leader in Mexico. Okay. Many activities. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. I, I, I was, uh, uh, I wasn't sure if you had any more things to list <laughs> because it kept going on and on. Um, I mean, it's clear that you are very passionate about the health of our planet and uh, climate change and all things related to it. Uh, so while doing some internet stalking, uh, I saw that you <laughs> are working at the Max Planck Institute. So I want to know more about the role you have there, the work you're currently doing, and yeah, just tell us more about that. Yes, of course. So I am an assistant researcher in the Max Planck Sustainability Network. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a group inside the Max Planck Institute. Uh, the goal of this group is to give measures and to give some alternatives for scientists all over the Max Planck Institutes uh, all over Germany on how to do research more sustainable. Um, mm -hmm. um, and also we work, for example, with other institutes around the world. Uh, right now we have collaborated with an institute in France called Labos Anpontank and with University College London on a manual that measures the carbon footprint of several research projects. And this assessment, this program assessment is called LEAF. And it's mostly uh, focused on carbon footprint and how they can uh, decrease it, how they can improve their processes and how they can be more environmentally friendly. Um, I have also been suggesting some social activities inside the scientific um, community. Uh, for example, I was helping on simulations with a software called En-ROADS developed by MIT in the US. Mm -hmm. And this is for uh, policymaking. And why on science? Because science is made for the people to get to know it and to act on science um, in, this, in this case for climate change. So policymakers need to know the science and how to act to avoid this, for example, this goal from the Paris Agreement to uh, decrease the temperature uh, from 1.5 centigrade. 
And well, I also add some information to the public wiki of the mm -hmm. Institute and be there for assistance. It's been actually very, very challenging, uh, but very fun, very fun at the same time. Very nice and a very important topic, I think, right now, uh, which is getting more and more crucial probably due to the pandemic. Exactly. But um, can you tell us a bit, uh, like, let's say in more detail what you do, um, do you give advice to specific organizations about how to make their, their experiments more sustainable? Or, I mean, in, in a way, let's say this way, do you, are you the one approaching the organization and say, hey, there are things you can improve or do they approach you and, and ask you for, for advice or solutions? I'm, I am mostly in such of suggesting new ways of, from what they already have. As I said, they have been, this network has been already working on how to make research more sustainable. And so what I've been doing is putting more input on their measurements and saying like, maybe you could um, increase uh, efforts here on reducing, um, I don't know, the usage of electricity or the usage of, of water that it's sometimes unnecessary. Um, it's very funny that one day I was speaking to one of the scientists that works in Max Planck Institute in the Physics Institute. And he had suggested me that we could suggest scientists to not leave their monitors on the whole night when leaving the Institute. Some people do that. The, he told me that some people still do that. And this emits carbon to the atmosphere. Um, it might be not so much, but if we, if we sum up all the computers, all the monitors that are on, then that's a very big carbon footprint le left there. Um, so I just suggest based on their daily life activities, what could be improved, um, what could be enhanced and, um, and how to promote it in all of the institutes, not just in Germany, but all over the world. As, uh, as much as possible. Okay, so now that you mentioned that, um, I was thinking of plastic waste also in research. Um, so is there anything being done to address uh, all this plastic waste being created continuously in labs all over the world? While the research results and the research itself is very valuable, we also have to think of these other side effects. Exactly. Um, this is a very interesting point because sometimes we think that, for example, right now with the corona pandemic, that we need to use plastic because it's more hygienic, um, mm -hmm. but you need to use it just once and then toss it out. And this is not very, this is not a very eco-friendly activity to do. So for example, in research, we were discussing about the lids that cover some of the instruments that uh, you just open them and toss them away. Mm -hmm. um, what they were suggesting is going back to the old school way of mm -hmm. doing it with crystal. And some would, some would think that, oh, no, that's uh, time wasting because you need to sterilize the, the, all, the, all the material again. And yeah, of course, you can reuse it. But they don't find it very practical. Mm -hmm. So we need to tell them on the other hand, the advantages of making this, uh, that yes, it might be 
a bit of a waste of time, but you're actually saving time for the planet because you're mm -hmm. enlarging the life of the planet if you don't use this, if you don't do this. So mm -hmm. um, that was one very good example. And it's good that you brought it up because we are very worried about plastic nowadays, um, especially of the from the wrapping that we have been um, getting lately. Um, however, I think that plastic, it is not the main problem. It could be one of them. It's one important problem, but we need to see these issues more like mm, from a global perspective, from a um, greater perspective, that not just focusing on one plastic, but why do ha we have plastic? Um, where do we use it? Um, how can we do to avoid it or what other alternatives are there? Um, such as what uh, the use of water involved with plastic. Yeah, that could be one example. Okay, before we go to more examples then. Sure. Um, can you, you mentioned before the, the footprint, our footprint. Carbon footprint. Carbon footprint, exactly, yes. Yes. Uh, so can you tell us a bit what, what that means first? And can you also tell us how do you maybe measure it? Is it, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, is, is there a number? Like everyone of us has a, a special number, which is our carbon footprint or different activities, different, uh, um, I don't know, factories or something, get a, get a number and then we, we try to increase it, reduce it or? So the carbon footprint comes from a very basic concept of carbon. We are all made up of carbon. That's... Um, the main constituency of human, of life, of life in general. Um, I don't know if you've heard about the C-H-O-N-P-S. Those are the main elements of life. Uh, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfate. Uh, sulfur, sorry. Yes. And so these elements make up life, but the basic one is carbon. So with carbon footprint, we, as we go on life, we are leaving uh, a footprint. It could be, I don't know, your um, legacy, let's call it, your legacy on uh, how you are living in this planet and how much resources you spend on living on this planet. Uh, the carbon footprint could be measured from uh, several perspectives and it's mostly based on how you live your daily life, how much food you eat, how much meat you eat, how much waste you generate, how much water you use, um, how, do, how do you move, how, what's your way of transportation, um, what materials do you use, how much light do you consume. So the carbon footprint is basically your life and it can be measured with the uh, emissions of carbon, of carbon dioxide that you emit to the atmosphere based on your daily activities. Um, the carbon footprints of all the world are different, especially if we want to compare uh, one country to another, there could be a huge difference. For example, the carbon footprint of China and the US is not the same as Africa, as Africa's carbon footprint. And you might wonder, why is it, why is it not the same? because the consumption patterns that are in China and the US are completely different 
from the ones that are in Africa or in other underdeveloped countries. Um, and the sad thing about this is that most of the carbon dioxide emissions that are in the atmosphere are emitted by the richest countries, which are contributing to a lot of it. And the poorest countries are the ones who are not emitting that much and are the ones that are suffering the most uh, from the consequences of these emissions. Um, that's so, also probably, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. that's also probably no why these countries are richer, right? Exactly. Compared to the poor ones. Exactly. Well, it's not why they are richer. I think it would be because they are richer, they emit this much, uh, this much pollution, this much emissions. So it has to do a lot with your lifestyle. So that's where we need to modify it in order to diminish your carbon footprint from your daily lifestyle. It's how you can reduce it. I don't know if I was clear on it or if there are mm -hmm. any questions. Yep. Yeah, no, it was clear. Perfect. Okay. It's the footprint you leave on the earth. <laughs> yes, that's a good way of thinking about it. And while we all have to be mindful of our consumption, um, would you... Would you agree that it's actually a handful of companies and different countries, especially in, in richer countries, that uh, they're contributing the most to, to pollution, to climate change uh, by means of their uh, CO2 uh, emissions being higher? Um, and which, so this is like a, a very general statement. So maybe you could, um, Tell us a bit more which activities or which industries, let's say, uh, are contributing the most to climate change. Mm, this is a very painful thing to talk, uh, mm -hmm. to, to actually admit, because the main contributor for the carbon dioxide emissions and the methane emissions to the mm -hmm. atmosphere is the uh, farming industry. All the meat industry is the main pollutant. Um, also, truth. yes. Also, with the um, automobile industry, it is not as much uh, it is not as much pollutant as as the meat industry is. Also, the well, as second place would be the transportation, especially airplane transportation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the emissions caused by cattle and by producing meat are the ones that are, let's say, more to blame in this problem. And um, so what solutions could be done there is not just stopping the consumption, but also stopping the promotion of these industries because uh, this is kind of like a chain problem. Mm -hmm. You consume meat, so you need land for these cattle to, to be living there. This change of land, this change on land use, it's also one that is uh, being a problem for the planet and for the planetary health, because then on the long term, it causes erosion. So you cannot even cultivate more vegetables or more things mm -hmm. to being able to feed a population that it's growing, that's increasing. Um, and so the solution would be to stop this cattle industry and to start restoring 
the land and to improve our um, our dietary basis. That would be one so possible solution among the problem. That opens a very big discussion indeed. Of course. <laughs> uh, it's in some ways, there's not much we can do, I mean, individually. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we can all contribute uh, to different things. I would like to go a bit uh, to slightly different direction, meaning that I would like to ask what's the total impact of, of this for the planet? So if, if we keep our carbon footprint quite high, mm-hmm. what's the problem? I mean, uh, we all expect that the, this is bad for the, for the planet, right? But can you give us a bit more details about this? So maybe you want her to give us, um, like in an alternate reality, if we don't do anything to combat climate change, what would happen? How would the world look like? Yeah, or what do you expect to be like the long-term impact on Mm -hmm. the planet? And uh, is it going to be bad also, for example, is it going to be bad for us? Or is there a limit that if we reach this, let's say if we cross this threshold, uh, then then there is no way back? Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's a very good point to start with because then the planet as a whole system has these limits on its functioning. So this is called planetary boundaries or planetary limits. Um, This term has been given by the Stockholm Resilience Center in 2019, around 2019. And so it is basically talking about the nine processes that regulate the stability and resilience of all the earth systems. So this has been a proposal from, proposal from scientists to measure quantitatively how, um, how human activities have an impact on the planetary boundaries. And so how can humanity continue on this, uh, among these uh, boundaries? to develop and to survive for the generations to come. So um, these boundaries, this concept is a set of nine limits that if if they are surpassed, then life, at least for humans and for biodiversity, will not be as we know it, or it wouldn't be um, as nice as we would like to. So it's all about the, let's call it safe operating space. Um, and such of a, um, an interesting point here is that most people would think that these, all these problems started after World War II with the emissions of the bombs and uh, the death of all these people, but actually not. It was actually after the human discovered agriculture and farming that all this started. Um, so these, these boundaries are interconnected with each other. Let's say that, do you remember the Musketeers uh, motto? Uh, one for all and all for one. Exactly. Ah. <laughs> so, exactly. So if we think about all these boundaries, one, one of them is working for all of them and all of them are working for one. So. How are these connected? Which, which ones are this? Are climate change, uh, the stratospheric ozone depletion, ocean acidification, 
loss of biodiversity, chemical pollution, freshwater consumption, land system change, nitrogen and phosphorus flows, and the atmospheric aerosol loading being the most important right now or the critical ones that we need to take care of, loss of biodiversity and the nitrogen and phosphorus cycles. So um, if we surpass these limits, then life will not be, as I said, as we know it. It is the safe operating space that, in which humans and in, in which biodiversity would uh, live and subsist. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of a very obvious question to, to follow up what you said, like how much time do we have left be before life changes and, you know, the survival of the human species and other animal species is put at risk? And yeah, how many years are, is it a century? Is it years? Okay. <laughs> Hope not just a few years, right? Not years. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many opinions on this mm. coming from scientists. Mm. For example, we have uh, the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals Agenda, which is the 2030 Agenda, um, which is the limit in which we need to achieve and to reach all the Sustainable Development Goals so we can avoid the increase of 1.5 centigrade increase uh, of temperature in the world. But the real, another limit that is posed by this theory, by this, um, not by this theory, but by these studies are 2050, 2030, 2050. So we have about also a decade to change our pattern consumptions, to change our culture from business as usual into uh, sustainable, it, uh, properly it should be sustainable as usual mm -hmm. um, to be so so we are able to survive and to coexist in peace with nature and with us because uh, I had there, there is this very nice saying I really forgot who said it but it's like in this planet we are guests we are not the owners so we mm -hmm. need to coexist with all this nature uh, so Going back to the timing, it's very mm, non-clear, but it would be 10, 10 years, about 20 years, 2030, 2050. Those are the limits. Yeah, I guess uh, we will somehow manage to survive, right? Even mm -hmm. if that happens, but then conditions <laughs> will be very adapt. hard. And maybe we have events, for example, and this won't affect only human population, but I guess it will affect also many other uh, species in the world, right? And as a microbiologist, I have to say, I have to say that whatever we do, probably microbes will be there still. Mm -hmm. Of course, right? Yes. <laughs> so it's it's mainly it's mainly the that the impact will be bad for us. Mm -hmm. So, do you think uh, we can do some things? We can change some things in our everyday lives uh, to not reach, for example, mm -hmm. not reach this one point five degrees. Uh, uh, increase in temperature hmm. we we can act as individuals uh, we cannot forget that we as um, just one person we can do stuff yes uh, we cannot diminish our personal actions however what we need to change is the system if there is no system change then climate change will prevail 
Um, so yes, we can do, we cannot. That's a tricky question, as I said. If we don't work together, coordinated, not much can be achieved. So this is the other part where I said that the system and how it functions is what needs to change to make reversal and probably a new transformation on the environment and on the ecosystems. But sometimes putting 200 countries in coordination to achieve something simultaneously is a bit difficult. So what I would say that we need to invest in social and ecological solutions to work together, to go from crisis into an innovation and also to adapt because we need to adapt in order to survive. So as a small action, yes, we can keep recycling, but we need to focus more on the consumption patterns instead of recycling, not producing. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we don't produce that much, then there's no need for uh, usage of energy. There's no need for, um, for worrying about the emissions and the pollution that's going to be generated from that creation, but instead reusing and finding a new way to produce things so we don't leave that carbon footprint. Um, also, you need to choose wisely when, when you need to buy eventually, what you buy, where does it come from? Um, I always say that it's better to buy locally than something exported from China, for example, or from New Zealand because of the carbon footprint that it's going to be behind this small product mm -hmm. or what, whichever product. Um, we need to change our economy. Well, that's more of a system change into a low carbon economy. And we need to do it fast. Um, and, and we need to shift our mindset. We need to shift our way of thinking that we are a system. So we need to collaborate together to make a real change. So we need to be more transformative uh, in order to also build more resilience. I don't want to say that we have not much time left and we need to be pessimistic and think about apocalyptic um, scenarios, but, um, but what we need to do is actually think forward um, and to be optimistic on this. We can do it, but we need to be all synchronized together. I totally agree with what you said. Uh, we really have to be more mindful of our consumption and uh, how we live our life and understand that our actions have consequences and you know, think a bit ahead and long term for the generations to come. So I, I really hope uh, that, that more people start thinking like this and this kind of sentiment spreads and that we can make a change while we're in time. Exactly. And now I would like you to, uh, I would like to ask you some uh, quick fire questions. So you just sure. answer with what comes to your mind. Okay. <laughs> um, the first one is a myth about your field that you would like to disprove. What is something that you always hear and think, oh, this is so wrong. How, how is this spreading? Hmm. There are several myths I need to think <laughs> about are a really good one. Yeah, I would say this myth, this myth, which is not disproving, but I like to modify always the answer. When they in in the in the scientific um, community, we say like, oh no, individual changes are not worth it. Uh, we need the systematic change. And while I agree on that, 
we need mm-hmm. a system change, uh, especially an economic and consumption system change, stop the business as usual. But I will never stop doing individual actions. Never. We need a change in system, but we, but we need to keep doing our job personally. So that would be one. Mm, let me see. Oh, my favorite one. Overpopulation. <laughs> Okay. Let me yes. What do you what do you think when you hear about overpopulation? Now I ask you guys. I mean, I've always heard that um, with how fast the human population is growing, we will like they will soon have a problem with food security, and mm-hmm. there won't be enough uh, land to cultivate mm-hmm. food, especially mm-hmm. if we keep eating so much meat. Mm-hmm. Um, Which so- is true. I don't know. What, what is the myth? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> the, myth, the myth is that we are so much, we are so much humans. And that is right. We are so mm-hmm. much humans. But they try to blame the poor from... Oh. Exact, that, that's, the, that's, I think, uh, called ecofascism, uh, mm-hmm. which is like, for example, African population or Asian population or uh, low developed countries stop having kids. It's not that. It's mm-hmm. actually... The greater countries, the developed countries that are polluting the most, and not specifically because they're having too many kids. So because it's shifting the blame it, on them. Exactly. If you think about it, the Nordic countries uh, do not have that many kids. Some of mm-hmm. them are stopping having kids. It is a, per- a very personal decision, mm-hmm. but it's a myth that uh, overpopulation from the poorest countries are the ones that are increasing the climate emergency and the climate crisis mm-hmm. no that's a no yeah i see in general that uh, all these problems let's say are so well interconnected mm-hmm. you cannot really blame only exactly. one factor right yes mm-hmm. it's always wrong to blame only one thing exactly it's everything as you said interconnected one for all all for one remember <laughs> <laughs> um So maybe you have a book recommendation for our listeners uh, regarding this topic. I have a very good one. Not a textbook. (laughs) Not a textbook? Ah, damn it. There's this drawdown book, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. Oh, wow. This is a very good one. And every year comes a new edition. And it's very interesting. Who are the authors? The authors are several. It's edited by Paul Hawken this time, but mm-hmm. it's mostly by a lot of research and scientists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this, this book keeps being updated every year. Uh, I need to update this copy. Um, but this is a very interesting one that tells us how with the current life that we have, we can reverse and fix the global warming issue. That's one. That's a nice suggestion, uh, actually, because unfortunately uh, we don't have the chance to ask you for many okay, different fine. ways, <laughs> right? We cannot uh-huh. ask you for many different what what we can do. Mm-hmm. You only gave us a few examples, so I think uh, mm-hmm. if someone wants to learn more, maybe they can get some mm-hmm. tips yes. uh, from this book. Yes, lots of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the last question is the classic. Uh, if you could have an hour-long uh, lunch with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? That are alive? Yeah, dead or alive. Ah, dead or alive. Yes, any, anyone, any 
probably a scientist for you mm -hmm. that you admire and you would like to you know exchange ideas with or get inspiration from i think it would be helen keller mm -hmm. helen keller is the best example i can find of resilience because she was deaf mm -hmm. she was blind and she loved life and Uh, that's that's a true true inspiration that that's a true inspiration for me um personally and i think that if we um extrapolate her example to ours to to humanity in general and speaking about business as usual it's like we buy and we consume based on what we see mm -hmm. but not in the real um the real meaning of what we are buying maybe um, most consuming societies just buy because they want to have more and more and more mm. and measure their own social power among others. Uh, but Helen Keller couldn't see, couldn't, couldn't hear and still love life. So I think she was just good with herself without having so much. So I think that would be a, a very good person I would like to talk to in Braille of course I would mm -hmm. need to learn Braille <laughs> to be able to speak to her that, that's a great answer <laughs> I love it um, okay so unfortunately this is uh, the end of the episode it has been a really nice conversation and we were able to exchange so many ideas between us Uh, Melissa, if you want to share your socials, you're also free to do that. Of course. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the time and mm -hmm. uh, for this great conversation. Um, I am as Mel8THBST on Facebook. Um, I don't have an Insta. Uh, I don't have a, an Instagram or a Twitter account, <laughs> um, but you can find me that on Facebook. I share a lot of initiatives on climate change and environmental health, planetary health, my favorite, my favorite mm -hmm. topic. And oh, I'm all, I actually have a blog. It's called La Chica Ambientalista. It's in Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, but you can follow it. And probably soon I will be uploading things in English for okay. everyone to know. Uh, nice. at least for yeah at least for the speaking <laughs> uh, spanish speaking uh, people yes. that's a good exactly. start exactly mm -hmm. uh, so thank you so much uh, for joining us today melissa and um, thank you for taking the time uh, to come on here and thank you to all the listeners we hope you learned something new today and uh, don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms f15x4 munich until next time stay safe bye